1: Welcome to the roadwire NBA Podcast. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. It is Tuesday, December 14th. Uh, and as we speak, James, uh, I'm looking on my computer screen and uh, the words trade AD are currently trending on Twitter. So we've we've officially reached that point in the season.
2: Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a roller coaster for, for the Lakers.
1: <laughs> it has. Yeah, for for myself here in Lakers Nation, um, Midwest edition. Uh, it's been it's been an up and down year. Um, I, I was just telling you off air that I saw a report this morning that the Lakers have had uh, what the report called internal discussions about trading Russell Westbrook before the deadline. I, I, who among us could have possibly seen this coming? The, the, the wording in the report was like the the fit with LeBron James, Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook has not been idea, as ideal as the Lakers anticipated at the time. Who among us? <laughs>
2: Um, pretty much everyone except LeBron and AD, uh, well, I mean, you, isn't that sort of, um, correlated to like, wasn't there like uh, Ben Simmons to the Lakers rumor the other day? There I'm, was like, that, that would just have to be Russ just from a salary standpoint.
1: I, I feel like that would actually end up being a good deal for the Lakers. Like I, I think if you're, if you're the oh, Sixers yeah. or you're, if you're Embiid and Ben Simmons turns into Russell Westbrook, like that, that's like the only possible downgrade out there.
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's all kinds of just people have wasted so many calories talking about Ben Simmons trades that Daryl Morey would never do in a million years. Um, but obviously Simmons would be a a huge upgrade over Westbrook for the Lakers.
1: Do you, do you put any belief in that report? I think it was Friday or Saturday. Um, or actually it might have actually been Monday. I don't know. All these days are running together at this point. Um, from the athletic that, that discussions are, are finally heating up with Ben Simmons. Like I, I feel no. Like we've no. I don't think so either. I, I think like obviously once the once the trade deadline gets closer, that that'll give like, kind of an artificial push toward getting some of these deals done. But I feel like that's just put, that that's just you know agents or the Sixers or Daryl Morey or whoever putting that out there, just trying to drive some sort of interest that that clearly has not been there for the last nine weeks.
2: That's definitely a I would guess coming from Rich Paul. Um, you know, I mean, that there's obviously been very little traction, and so yes. you would try to manufacture something. But, um, is it tomorrow when the players who sign this offseason can start getting traded? Uh, or is that the 17th? I know it's coming up here in a, in a day or some two. point
1: within the next week. Uh, I'll I'll try to dig that date up on the fly. Um, but, but I yeah, mean, it's it, in theory, they
2: could there could be like a trade that maybe has been you know, floated out there that now they'd be able to actually do it. Uh, But I still just don't see, like, nothing makes sense. I mean, people have spent, Uh you know, the past four or five months trying to come up with a trade that would make sense. And, you know, unless Daryl Morey is just willing to take something significantly less than what he's publicly said he's willing to take, then I just don't see anything getting done.
1: I also just don't really feel that maybe outside of of Indiana, I, I don't know that there's like an obvious team that wouldn't have been in the mix two months ago that now is maybe in the mix or like feels differently about its situation. You know, like I, I think that's really the only team that I, I think maybe relative to its internal expectations has really underperformed. And obviously, you know, a week ago, there was uh, you know, they're essentially putting it out there that, hey, we're looking to, to potentially clean house with some of our core guys. But, you know, the other team's that are kind of on the outside looking in or, or we're planning to be bad this season. Like they're all about where we expected. So like, I, I don't feel like there's all these like potential pieces shaking loose that maybe the Sixers hoped would happen over the first two months of the season.
2: I mean, maybe the Kings have been worse than the Kings thought they were going to be, but yeah. De'Aaron Fox has been worse than you would have hoped. And I, I don't yeah. think Daryl Morey would even take De'Aaron Fox as a headliner for Simmons. So,
1: I mean, I just, I don't think this I, is going to be a I agree with you that Maury wouldn't, but would you? Like I, I still feel like Fox is a pretty decent return. It's it's not a home run, but it's I would I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset about it if I was a Sixers.
2: Um I would be just looking I, I'd rather take some sort of deal where you're getting two high level role players than Fox. Yeah, because I just I think you need you need shooting. Like, you need – anyone you get back in that deal has to be a plus shooter. And then uh, I also just think Darren Fox is – like, his reputation as a defender might be decent, but, you know, they, they can't – getting a guard back who isn't a big-time defensive guard, you know, they already have Maxie and they already have Curry. Right. So I just – I I don't know. I don't think that's a fit.
1: Yeah, I mean, the emergence of, of Maxi, I think, does make that one a little bit more complicated. I just, I don't, maybe I'm just biased towards De'Aaron Fox, but I, I know he's been a contributing factor to why Sacramento is once again sitting where they seemingly always are at this point in the season. But he, he does seem like one of those guys who I, I think if you could get him out of that terrible situation, I, I think he could flourish somewhere else with better guys around him. Whereas I, I think a lot of the guys that have kind of been on these Kings teams over the last 10 to 15 years have just been like classic Kings players. Like to me, He deserves a little bit better, and and I I would hope at some point he'll get the chance to prove that.
2: I mean, it's just his trajectory has just been so discouraging. It's hard to—guys usually don't get worse, you know, at at the guard position the way that he is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the shooting is down to, like, 25% from three. He's, he's once again, low 70s at the free-throw line. I I think that's probably the biggest disappointment development-wise— um, we only have three games on the slate on this Tuesday night. Uh, one of the reasons for that is the D- Detroit-Chicago game has been postponed, one of two postponements for the Bulls this week. We'll get into to some of the COVID stuff uh, just on a news basis in a sec, but very good chance that Stephen Curry is going to break the all-time uh, made three-pointers record tonight in New York. What is your level of interest in, in watching this or watching the highlights? Like, Do you, do you care at all that Curry is going to break this record? No.
2: <laughs> no, me neither. Um, me neither. I mean, I, I don't really care about records in any sport. Um, And this one is just, it's kind of such a formality, you know, right. like obviously Steph Curry was eventually going to break this record. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. I, it doesn't, it's not something that I get excited
1: about really. I feel the exact same way just because like I, you could have told me coming into the year that he already had the record and i be like, yeah, that sounds right. Like <laughs> yeah. you could have told me you broke it four years ago, and I would have believed you. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I was watching that game against Indiana last night, and they they had like a countdown graphic like on the scoreboard throughout the whole throughout the whole game. You know, there's the score, the shot clock, and then it's like Curry three more threes till record. Like I I don't know if this is like that level of record. It's not like he's breaking the all time scoring record here.
2: Yeah. Um. I mean, I wouldn't even like it. Like if LeBron was like about to break the all-type scoring record, I wouldn't like tune in just for that. No. <laughs> so I, I don't
1: know. Um, no, I, I, I feel know. the same way. I don't know. Like those 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 longevity type of records to me aren't really that exciting in, in just about any okay. sport. You know, it's like when I, I remember when Emmett Smith broke the rushing record, it was like, okay, it seemed like he it was a big deal to him. It wasn't really that big of a deal to everybody else.
2: I guess there there are maybe like a few records like that I would be um like if someone was going to break like Joe DiMaggio's hit streak record, that would sure. be like interesting because it's one of those records where you you have to do it each game. And like when you don't, right. then then it's over um, or or like a baseball player, like hitting 400 in the season, like right um, or like the, the strikeout record in a game like anytime a pitcher gets like 20 plus strikeouts in a game like Mm -hmm. i mean there's there's games like there's there's stuff like that where it's just such a crazy achievement um in a shorter span of time but yeah the longevity records like i just don't care at all
1: yeah i think i would care a lot more if a player i don't i don't even know if like breaking the 100 points in a game record is attainable at this point i I feel like it's not i mean we've we've seen players like basically play and score as much as possible and, and they've topped out at like 81 um but if a, if a player had a chance to score 80 in a game I would be much more compelled by that like i would i would get to a tv yeah. if somebody had like 48 points at halftime
2: yeah if you if you sent me a message saying that someone was yeah Kelly whatever Everett. it would be like yeah like yeah 50 <laughs> points at halftime or whatever um that would be just infinitely more right. compelling to me than than something like this
1: James, Royce O'Neal has 52 points with eight minutes (laughs) left in the third quarter. You need to get to a TV. Um, But no, okay, glad glad we're on the same page. I'm going to tune in. It's going to be cool. I I do wonder, like, do you stop the game for something like this? I I don't know, partially because it's Curry. Like, everybody knows about it. Um, I I think they might. It'll be at MSG. I I don't know if it'd be different if the game was at Golden State. Um, But either way, that'll be cool. I mean, Curry's going to obviously annihilate this record. Um, Like, I was looking at Ray Allen's basketball reference page today, and Curry is currently taking, like, 13 threes a game I think close to 13 and a half and at Ray Allen's absolute peak he was taking like eight threes a game so like you alluded to it was it was really only a matter of time and I, I think as this goes on like once Curry retires I think it's going to seem like an untouchable record but if the game keeps progressing as is like Damian Lillard's going to have a chance to finish as like the distant number two all time right like I, I think eventually Ray Allen's just going to keep getting pushed down and down
2: yeah I mean it, it's Exactly. It's like one of those, one of those records where part of it's just the evolution of the game. So that makes it even less interesting. <laughs> right.
1: All right. Well, on the COVID front, uh, I mentioned the Chicago Bulls. Ten guys currently in COVID nineteen protocols. We we started the season with so much hope, James. Where it, it looked like you know the, the vaccination rates, other than Kyrie, essentially as this kind of sideshow, everything was great on that front. And here we are now. It feels a lot like last year where. Seemingly every day, you know, somewhere between two and eight guys are entering COVID protocols. And and the Bulls have been hit harder than anybody else over these last couple of weeks. Uh, Those two games for Chicago on Tuesday and Thursday have been postponed. Uh, They'll they'll hopefully play Sunday against the Lakers. Uh, The Lakers themselves canceled practice today. Taylor Horton Tucker entered health and safety protocols. So, you know, hopefully it's it's just him and, and everything goes on as scheduled for the Lakers. But we'll see about that. The Nets. Place four guys in COVID protocols this morning. Um, so, yeah, it's, it has not been great. Have you been uh, on your fantasy teams? Have you been hit by all these absences the last couple of weeks?
2: Uh, Zach Levine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sat Isaiah Stewart down in a couple of leagues just because they were going to play the Bulls. Um, yeah. I mean, just, yeah. I, I mean, if you play in enough leagues, you're obviously going to get hit a little bit, but... I mean it's probably just going to be something that's a trend this season where you know once again every every week on Monday you're, you're probably going to have to sit someone for something related to covid
1: over these at least through the holiday season. Mm-hmm. How's your how's your stake league team doing? I I somehow have avoided uh, getting hit by these absences. If anything I I benefited from like having Miles Bridges and like Kelly Ubre in another league, uh but Paul George is hurt, Bam Adebayo is hurt og is hurt jalen brown is hurt cj mccollum is hurt those are all guys i have in multiple leagues um but where where is your stake league team Uh, right now
2: so let me see um i'm definitely in buyer territory okay Uh, i am i'm 10th out of 14 um my big absence well i mean i drafted michael porter and dropped him weeks ago but that that one sucked and then OG Ananobi uh, missing a ton of time has is, is sucked. Um, TBD, whether Jalen Green missing a ton of time is, <laughs> yes. is actually hurting me or not. Yeah, I but, saying, you've,
1: been, you've been rocketing up the standings since he's <laughs> <set up. laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm starting, you know, I'm starting like Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi
1: Kleva and
2: Alperen Sengun right now. So, Pat yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love it if, I'd, well, Pat, Pat Connaughton's been like one of my three or four best players this season, Pat so. Sure. Um, <laughs> he's 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 locked into that lineup even when the bucks are on like two or three games he's he's locked in so i didn't forget it
1: yeah well as i make fun of you i'm sitting two spots behind you in that league with five guys currently ir eligible in, in pg adebayo mccollum thomas bryant uh, and clay thompson but at, at least getting those last two guys back should help clay at least um I, i'm expecting big things out of thomas bryant i have no idea um like wouldn't surprise me if he's just a complete non-factor but he also started every game before he got hurt do you do you have any insight into into what's gonna go on with the wizard's front court I'm gonna oh, guess man. No. that
2: that that's uh that's a big mess man i
1: <laughs> luckily this is not right. something you've had to think about
2: i yeah I, since i have I have zero shares of of anyone in that front court i, I it's been out of sight out of mind for me but mm-hmm. um I mean I just keep hoping for the day that uh Christian wood can get traded and sure. Uh, the Alperin Shengu and Express can can rocket me up the standings. Did you did you see his uh over the backboard pass the other
1: day? Uh, boy, did it, I! I was just gonna ask you about that.
2: Over I, the shoulder, over the backboard. I
1: think the, the the tweet I saw with the highlights said like Alperin dislocated his shoulder making this pass, and I was like, I, is this a joke? Like, did he actually? The I don't think we've seen a big guy make a pass at that arm angle in a very long time. It was.
2: Just, I mean, no players ever made that pass before in an NBA game. I feel confident saying that. Uh, uh, it didn't necessarily create a massive advantage, right? Because it, was, it just, was well,
1: the guy also bricked the shot,
2: <laughs> right? I mean, it it led to a like semi-contested wing three-pointer, so like it, it wasn't just you know a, a free three points or free two points or right. anything like that, but. Uh, just to have the ability to make that pass and have it be on target is something that, you know, nobody could really do. Um, so he's, he's so much fun, but uh, still playing less than 20 minutes a game.
1: I was going to say, has they, have they given any indication like why he continues to play like exactly 17 minutes every single night? And like, even like Daniel Tice, obviously was there at the beginning of the season. He's kind of been in and mostly out of the rotation the last few weeks. Like what is, what is the pressing need to hand all these minutes to guys who are not a first round pick in 2021? Like I, obviously like they've won some games recently, but I I don't think there's real hope. And I I don't even know if they, if they were given the choice of like, Hey, you could be the eight seed or you could you know finish and get the third pick in the draft. One of those scenarios is a hell of a lot more appealing. And it's not like Shane Good is going to play so well that he's going to play you out of a top five draft pick. The whole situation is just really bizarre.
2: I mean I know that they they found this success uh with Christian Wood being moved to center. Uh so you know, if you're gonna play Christian Wood thirty minutes a game at center, that doesn't leave much left for Shangun. Um you could play those two together a little bit, but I mean I really think uh you know, I think Shengun is clearly the center of the future there i, I can't imagine they keep Christian Wood for this entire rebuild, but um yeah like there's there's no lineup combination that's gonna screw up their draft hats <laughs> like they're they're pretty uh right. pretty set in terms of having a bottom five record regardless of who they play and how many minutes they play it's just it's kind of a shame um i mean i I really wish that Sam Presty had been interested in shangun because that seemed like a natural fit and they had that opportunity and they passed on it but
1: here we are did they take trey Mann over shangun
2: uh i'm not 100 sure I, I think so or did I they, they trade th- out
1: they, oh no they so shangun went 16 man went 18 but I, I think that pick originally belonged to okc right
2: right right um i think the the rockets just trade up to get Schengen.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that's how it went. But, uh, I mean, why? I just don't get OKC is so loaded at center. I guess they didn't need another big guy. That's true.
2: If you can't play over Christian Wood, you're not going to play over (laughs) Jeremiah Robinson or
1: The NBA season is underway, and Yahoo is excited to go big on daily fantasy basketball this season. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo, including their multi-entry contests, which are now shark-free. To celebrate Yahoo going big on DFS, as well as Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark-free, Yahoo's giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. Yahoo will have daily NBA contests all season long as well. Play a single game contest of your choice throughout the week, then join Yahoo's weekly Friday main NBA contest to compete for large cash prizes. Play Daily Fantasy Basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy welcome to claim that free $10 offer and get started today. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top tier athletes who have the biggest impacts on the game. Sign up today, and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription. That will give you access to everything on our website, not just our NBA content, all of our other sports. A ton of value wrapped up in that free six-month Rotowire subscription. Here's how you can go about claiming your free Rotowire subscription. Step one: visit Rotowire.com/thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E. Step two: deposit a minimum of ten dollars and receive a one hundred percent deposit bonus. Up to $100. Finally, step three: play in your first paid contest, and then you'll receive that free six-month Rotowire subscription. Thrive Fantasy, check it out today. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's Fantasy Podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface. Moneyline bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six US states Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. I, I want to touch on the Kings again real quickly. There is a... A report from the Sacramento Bee yesterday that the Kings are, are aggressively shopping both Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley. And the, the exact wording of the report is they are seeking, quote, a good player in return. Um, so I just wanted to confirm that they're looking for a good player. They will not be accepting any bad players. If, if you're an opposing team, like, at this point, do you have any interest whatsoever in Marvin Bagley? Like, is, is there like 1% of you that thinks there's still like reclamation to be had there? Or is this just a, a complete lost cause?
2: Um you know, I think if he was it just sort of seems like he still views himself as a guy who should be like a star for a team, yes. and so that that part of it makes me uninterested. I think if he had reached like rock bottom um from a like i deserve this i I should be given this type of thing. That I think he would make sense for maybe a team like the Spurs or the Heat. But as long as he sort of views himself as a guy who should be getting the ball and playing starters minutes, then I just wouldn't want him on the team.
1: Stats obviously don't tell the entire picture, but he's also doing nothing but scoring and rebounding still for the fourth straight year. And and it's been kind of tough to judge some of those seasons because of all the injuries. And you know, it feels like he's never been able to play more than like five games at a time without having some sort of minor issue. But I I just feel like he's in that class of guys who he probably would have been like a multi-time all-star if he came into the league in 2002, but he's just, it it was such a glaringly weird and wrong pick at the time. And he's just not a, not really a modern NBA big man. You know, he doesn't really have the size to play center. He doesn't really seem all that interested in playing center. Doesn't have the defensive abilities. Um, I mean, he, he, block shots at like an incredibly low rate, even for a player who's only averaging like 20 minutes a game. Like he's, he's getting a block like every three or four games. Um, And the rebounding ability is nice. The athleticism is nice, but he's also not enough of a, a knockdown three point shooter where that really offsets anything. I mean, he's at like 30% the last two years. Um, If you're not going to be a contributor really on defense and you're not going to do anything but score and rebound, you, you have to bring something else to the table. And there's just not that, there's not, like, that third skill that sets him apart whatsoever.
2: No, I mean, I, I think we're we're a couple of years away from maybe him. Like, I, I think once he has, you know, basically gotten onto, like, a minimum contract and then been let go and, like, mm-hmm. it gets into his head that, like, nobody values him the way that he thinks that he should be valued, maybe there might right. be sort of a change of mindset there. But, yeah, I just – I think he's – um I mean, really, they, they probably shouldn't have even picked up his um, his third-year option,
1: if, no. if we're being honest. No, I mean, I I think if you could package him, you know, with a buddy healed or whatever, maybe that makes sense. But if you're trading him straight up, we're talking second-round pick, you know, lightly protected second-round pick or another similarly underachieving player or a lower-end role player. Like, you're not really getting anything of great value uh, for Marvin Bagley. I think those those days have sailed. You know, I think he's well beyond his James James Wiseman phase where, like, there's still some teams, I think, that are probably in on Wiseman. We haven't seen enough, like, even though Bagley's been injured, I, I think the sample size is now large enough that if you're the Kings, you're not worried about letting that guy go and he turns into a star somewhere else. Like, those those days are long gone uh, at this point. Heald, to me, is pretty interesting, though. I mean, it, it's, I, I was going to ask, like, you know, what what team makes sense for him, but I don't even know if that's all that interesting of a question because I feel like he could fit pretty much anywhere like what team is not looking for you know one of the perennial league leaders in three-point shooting um and percentage-wise you know he's been closer to 35 instead of 40 this year which is slightly concerning but at the same time i i still think he's the type of guy that pretty much any team would love to have in the rotation for 25 minutes
2: yeah um i mean maybe maybe a team like the cabs could use sure. him. um i mean Kevin the- love? <laughs> um yeah well, I, I don't know um it, the the tough thing with heel though is just that his his salary is big enough where right. like who are the kings getting back where that where it makes sense for them right like because right. you you want like an asset and a player but most of the players that a team would include would be negative value contracts i don't I don't think Heald is quite there. I think he's more kind of a net neutral contract, so um, that that's a complicated one. I mean, obviously the the Lakers one seemed to make a lot of sense on paper, mm-hmm. but um, they got their they, guy. They, well, <laughs> they thought they got their guy.
1: I will say, if there's if there's one team that would that could maybe be like the dumping ground for Russell Westbrook. Is it not the Sacramento Kings? Like, is is there a chance that the Lakers could like somehow back their way into still getting Buddy healed and making Russell West Russell Westbrook this the, the centerpiece of that deal?
2: Oh man. Uh and yeah, Russ I, Fox backward? No. No. <laughs> no, that's like the worst fit ever. Um poor Russ. Uh <laughs>
1: poor Fox. <laughs> poor everybody. Yeah. No, I I don't know. I mean I'm half kidding, but As we always say with with the Kings, it's like, logic does not apply here. Every other team would say, no, this doesn't make sense for us. But if it's the Kings, you're like, eh, Russell Westbrook, maybe. I don't know. Something to consider. Um, I want to touch on Zion real quickly, and then then we'll talk some futures bets. Uh, We just kind of have to do our, like, weekly sad check-in on Zion, who was shut down on Friday, uh, discomfort in that surgically repaired foot. What would you now put the line at for number of games played? for Zion Williamson this season. I feel like we've been kind of playing around with like 30, 35. I mean, at this point, point, I 25 over under. I was going to say 15. Ooh. I'll take the over on 15. 15 is low at 25. I, I think, I think we see somewhere between 15 and 25 because I mean, it, it's starting to become a math equation, right? Like teams are coming up on 30 games. He's nowhere near returning. You have to factor in. He's going to miss probably at least one of every three games once he's back.
2: Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still, I would, t- I would take the hard under on twenty five. Um, the main, uh, I forget where, who I heard say this, but I think the main motivation. I mean, obviously, you know, he, you would assume he's motivated to just come back and play because he wants to play basketball. But there's also you know, I think he wants to be offered the max extension without any injury provisions. Mm -hmm. And so I think that coming back this season, you know, showing that he he can come back and be the same guy, that would help his camp argue for that extension to not have those Joel Embiid types Mm -hmm. of uh, injury provisions. But, I mean, I still would... Yeah, you know, I, I would. If it was me, I'd be trying to trade him right now. But um, obviously, David Griffin has a different type of uh, hold on his job uh, than if he was a brand new GM there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think if for fantasy, like if you're in a like if you're if you're in a situation where you're taking zeros right now in like a head-to-head league because you have like Zach Levine and and Devin Booker and like guys like that. And you have Zion Williamson, like I wouldn't be opposed to dropping him. Honestly, like if if it was costing me, uh, in the standings to, to keep him on the roster right now. And they're, you know, we're Mm -hmm. talking about like a shallower league where you could actually pick up someone decent. Um, I think that's something you'd have to consider at this point, because I mean, he's, he's not going to be back like until at least like February. Right. Um, I would yeah.
1: At this point, it's like if he's back before the All Star break, I think you're pretty happy.
2: Yeah, and and it's also how many times has have there been setbacks here?
1: Um, This is at least three.
2: Yeah, so it's just you know who knows. I I know that people are saying that he's not at the whatever it was three thirty or whatever um, that he apparently showed up to camp at, but you know he wasn't it didn't look like he was in great shape last season. And it's just, it's one of those things where he could easily, if you're stashing him, he could come back and they could just hurt it like the second game that he's back or whatever. So I I think if there's, if you're really up against it and you're competing, to like get in your head to head playoffs or something like that. And you can pick up a guy who could help you in next week's matchup. I think you should consider it.
1: Yeah. I think you're right about, league size you know if if you're in an eight or ten team league I think that makes sense I I still wouldn't drop him to pick up like I don't know JaVale McGee or something like that you know for for a week even though he's been a solid like points rebounds blocks guy but yeah if you're if you're in a shallower league I I think and especially if you're in a weekly league because even once he comes back I think like are you really gonna feel comfortable like locking him into a lineup for seven straight days like I it just doesn't seem likely like obviously he's gonna sit at least one half of back-to-backs you know if there's a you three games and four nights scenario, he's missing at least one of those. Like, it's just, I, I just feel like it's going to be more trouble than it's worth ultimately, even if he does come back in, in January or February.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, um, like we're in, let's see, we're in like our twelve. T- so like, what if you could drop, like what if Bobby Portis was out there? Would you drop, would you drop Zion straight up for Bobby Portis?
1: You know, I think I would in light of the Brooke Lopez news. Um, and and also the my personal belief that Demarcus Cousins is not the savior for the Milwaukee Bucks at center. So yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great example of a player who, especially like reputationally in your mind, you're like, am I really gonna drop Zion Williamson for Bobby Portis? But I don't know when you look at how Portis has played and how sustainable it looks like that's going to be. Um, I mean, Brook Lopez even in the best case scenario is probably back in like March or April, uh, which is you know kind of the end of the fantasy season. So yeah, I I think he's a player that justifiably could could certainly be dropped. I don't I don't have very many concerns. I mean we we now have twenty games of Bobby Portis as a starter and he's averaging 17 and 10 with over a steal, over a block, and over two threes per game.
2: What if you could drop him for like Kevin Herder?
1: Okay. I like we should just do a whole episode of this. Like, <laughs> uh, well, I'm trying to I'm yeah. trying to
2: find I'm trying to find where the like the sweet spot is for right. like,
1: where you'd say. Uh and I herder is a little tougher because you know his value right now is is boosted by the Bogdanovich injury, so there's there's kind of like a somewhat of an artificial clock on mm-hmm. on you know what his upside is for now, and, and DeAndre Hunter might be back a little earlier as well so oh man i i don't I don't think i would I don't think I would and it, it kind of depends what you need, right and how the league is structured. you know it's like if you're if you're killing it in free throw percentage right now and then Zion comes back and and tanks that. Um, Maybe I would think differently, but just like gun to my head, I would would say, no, I would still hold him in favor of Herder.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that seems about right.
1: Yeah.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
4: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: All right, I wanna throw a few just kind of random bets at you from the DK Sportsbook um, and, and kind of use these as some jumping off points to talk about a few teams and a few players. Uh, and then we'll, we'll try to squeeze in some 2022 NBA draft talk at the end. But everybody's hot on the Cleveland Cavaliers right now, who uh, I saw a, a stat last night. They are now five games over 500 for the first time without LeBron on the roster since the year 2000, which is an astounding stat. And there were there were like multiple players born in the 1960s uh, on that 2000s Cavs roster. So it's like literally unprecedented since LeBron entered the league that the Cavs have been this competent. Um, without him on the roster, they are minus 145 to make the playoffs right now. Um, the, the the win total prop right now is updated to 43 and a half and it's it shaded toward the under. So it, essentially, you know, the DK Sportsbook is projecting them for like 41, 42-ish wins, which implies that, you know, this recent run or, you know, this kind of 30 game start is, is somewhat fool's gold. I, I don't know where I come in on this because they, they've had some dramatic swings and it, it does feel like, They have guys who are playing a little bit uh, above their levels, but at the same time, it's it's been really hard to find other teams that you feel significantly better about in the East. I I think Brooklyn, Chicago, Milwaukee, to me, have have all been really impressive. Um, But even Miami has had some injuries. They've been a little shaky. Philly, same thing. And once you get below that, you're in that Washington, Charlotte, Boston, Toronto tier of teams that... On, on some nights look like they're top three in the conference on other nights look like they're a lottery team. So I, I, f- I feel like Cleveland has been just consistent enough that I I'm starting to have faith that they can at least hold on to like a seven or an eight seed in the East.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that. And I, um, I think I would take that over, uh, <clears throat> for the wins, you know, obviously everyone was wrong about the Cavs before the season. Uh I think I was super, super wrong about the Cavs, but uh it, it does it kinda makes sense. Um just the way that I mean you know the two guard and small forward are still pretty big like weaknesses or like deficiencies. But having Mobley and Allen uh You know, that that just gives your defense uh, such a a nice little cushion for guys like Glory Markkinen, uh, Chetty Osman. Like, if those guys can't contain their guy, then they still have to go in among the trees and try to score. And so few teams play this type of style with two traditional bigs who are not only big and long, but, like, active um and and pretty good at at moving out on the perimeter uh for their size and I mean I think Darius garland for most improved player is starting to look like a, a pretty good bet um you know that i i forgot that the pelicans could have had him um like we always talk about like the deAndre hunter aspect of that, yeah, but they could have just taken Darius garland at four and i mean he he looks super legit like i i was pretty high on him in that draft um i think i liked him over rj barrett um but i didn't i mean he's kind of even better than i thought he'd be at this stage and so if garland mobley and allen stay relatively healthy i think they hit that over Uh, i mean i think all three of those guys have a case to be all-stars um so yeah, I think I, I, I'm I buying this more than I'm selling it. So I think that those are still pretty decent odds. Uh, and then bigger staff for Coach of the Year is also pretty appealing.
1: You can get Garland at 30-1 to 1 for most improved, which I, I do like that quite a bit. And again, it, it is a pretty uh, pretty strong field overall. I mean, you got Bridges, Morant, DeJounte, uh, Lamello, Hero, Jordan Poole, Cole Anthony, Anthony Edwards are all ahead of Darius Garland. It's kind of hard to argue that, but I think as the season goes on and if team success kind of starts to creep into the voting, that's certainly going to help him. Bickerstaff is at 12 to one for coach of the year. Uh, and this is actually one that I wanted to touch on, not Bickerstaff specifically, but I, I think he's going to continue to climb if the Cavs continue this success. But Monty Williams is now the co-favorite with Steve Kerr. Last time we touched on this two or three weeks ago, it was Donovan and Kerr tied at the top. And now it's Monty Williams and Steve Kerr both at plus 380 I I still maintain that Monty Williams can't win it because he came too close to winning it last year and you, you very rarely win it the second year when your team is good. Um, so unless they win like 65 games, I I just don't really see him necessarily having the narrative to pull that off.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I could see why the sports book would have it that way, but I just, I don't think that's the way that the media votes on that. Um, I feel like it just goes to the coach of the team that the media was the most wrong about for the season. Like a lot of times. Yes. So like the Cavs fit that, uh, the bulls like Billy Donovan, like they, they fit that. Um, you know, there were lots of people that thought the Suns could go back to the finals before the season. So I just don't, I don't really see, like, I agree. Like Monty Williams is clearly like a top five coach, I think in the league. So I'm not saying he wouldn't deserve it. I just, you don't usually see uh, guys with like the the team profile that they have winning that award.
1: So the Minnesota Timberwolves are currently plus two hundred, so two to one to pick the NBA playoffs. You you have kind of long been a, a kind of a closeted Minnesota Timberwolves supporter, <laughs> or at least a hopeful uh, Minnesota Timberwolves supporter. They are twelve and fifteen. There's been times this year where they've looked like they were going to be the Cavaliers of the West. And then right when everybody jumps on, you know, they'll lose four games in a row, but this is another situation where you, uh, it's it's less about the Timberwolves for me. And it's more about the teams below the Timberwolves and four of those teams, the Spurs, Rockets, Thunder, and Pelicans are essentially cross-offs. And Sacramento is moving very rapidly toward that territory. And then you have Portland who's 11 and 16 and, you know, Damian Lillard might want roster changes. CJ McCollum has a collapsed lung. I don't even know if that's the first time that's ever happened to an NBA player. Uh, they're, they're clearly going nowhere fast. Like there's kind of this nine team cutoff in the Western conference where Minnesota is going to have to like make a real effort to drop below nine. I feel like.
2: And so the, the bet is for them to make the playoffs.
1: Right. And I, I think that would mean they would have to, they would have to be They'd in have the to... field of eight teams.
2: Right. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, that would be an upset still, obviously, like you kind of laid out. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I guess the the question is, are they in a tier of their own as, like, a team that's in the middle but wants to make the playoffs? Because you could argue all the teams below them are, like, moving toward rebuilds, and all the teams above them are clearly better than them. But, like, what is the gap between them and Denver or the Mavericks or the Clippers or the Grizzlies? So I just – I don't think we can quite –
2: say that they're clearly above the Blazers even with the uh, McCollum injury. Um it's just like it I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if game kinda like got hot and the Blazers won like eight of ten at some point this winter. And I mean I always get I just I feel like I constantly get sucked in to just Carlothe towns because of how talented he is and then I just decide that he's super soft and he can't be trusted but then it'll go then it will 18 months will pass and I'll get sucked in again um and I I don't know I I don't see that team faring very well in in any kind of a play-in setting like I mean would you favor them I mean like I just would I would not favor them against any potential play-in opponent, um, if we're just looking at these, you know, potential teams that could be in the the seven to ten range. Obviously, I, I agree with what you're saying about them being cut above the Kings and the Spurs, and obviously those those other three teams. But um, uh, I don't know. I just. Betting on the Timberwolves to achieve things in a play-in setting is just not
1: a bet (laughs) that I would recommend (laughs) making. I I don't even think you have to say in a play-in setting, just any sort of achievement. (laughs) Um, I mean, well, part of it, too, is if you're talking play-in, so we're fast-forwarding to, like, April, you know, the Clippers might have Kawhi back at that point. The Nuggets will probably have Jamal Murray back at that point. So, you know, I I think you'd you'd obviously feel worse if you're the Timberwolves about either of those matchups. Like I, I guess Dallas is the team to me that has just been so up and down, and you know it isn't all that deep once you get beyond Luca and Porzingis. Like that's maybe the matchup that you'd feel okay about, but yeah, I don't know. I, that was a good breakdown by you. I mean, there's there's not one there's not one team that you'd feel great about them beating, and then we're you know this is assuming that they can't even climb past ninth. Just quickly on Dallas, um, I did notice that somehow Jason
2: Kidd is thirty to one for coach of the year, and. Um, I just like when was the last time that got updated? Because there's <laughs> there's a zero percent chance Jason Kidd wins Coach of the Year. I can tell you that right now. So why is why is he still at thirty to one?
1: Thirty to one. Oh my. How how does he have better odds than Michael Malone? Yeah.
2: How does he have how does he not have like bottom five odds for Coach of the Year? <laughs> I,
1: I think just by virtue of being a first year head coach, you you kind of get a bump because there's nothing to compare it to, and it, it's like possibly like a little bit easier to win the award. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to give you some sort of explanation here. 30 to one. Oh my goodness. I, like at any point this year, would that have made sense? I, like it's not like these are, I know we're joking about the odds not being updated, but like, I, I feel like he's like after game one, like he, his odds should have sunk to like 30,000 to one. I mean, <laughs> I'd, I'd be interested in like betting
2: on him to like get fired before the start of next season, but certainly not to win coach of the year.
1: Jason Kidd has a better chance of winning Defensive Player of the Year than Coach. <laughs> one. Oh my God. Speaking of Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Draymond Green now the favorite. He has surpassed Rudy Gobert and Giannis. He's at plus one fifty. Gobert now uh, plus two twenty. Giannis plus seven fifty. I've been off the Gobert train all season. I, I feel like he's the he's like the Monty Williams of this award, but he's just not going to win it. Uh, he he obviously won it last year and immediately was exposed in the playoffs. And I, I mean. Like, was it the Clippers or no, it was the Timberwolves who were like openly, um, you know, like disparaging Rudy Gobert, even though the Jazz like blew them out. They were like, after the game, they felt the need to say that Rudy Gobert is actually not a good defender. Um, I, I just feel like he, you know, well, he's, he's, he's won one of these three was, already.
2: I mean, I, like, I agree with you. Like, Rudy Gobert is not going to win defense player of the year. But if ever there was an example of why you can't trust the Timberwolves, like them Them disparaging Rudy Gobert after getting their asses kicked. Like, what's what's wrong with that team? Like, what are they doing?
1: Like, yeah, I I know he just shut us down, and I know we just lost by 25. (laughs) I want to make it clear he's not good. He's not actually good.
2: He's not good. That guy's not good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tonight, notwithstanding, he's not good. Yeah, I thought that was. That was, I mean, I love the quotes. Obviously, anytime we're getting Anthony Edwards and Patrick Beverly like going off on anything, that, that's all well and good. But like, I saw the I quotes assume, first, and I like, assumed that they had won the game.
2: Like they, obviously, they know that Conley, Towns, and Rudy Gobert are going to be competing for like All NBA second team, um, maybe for an All Star spot, like all that stuff. But, um, you know, maybe maybe put your efforts towards not getting blown out. Um, During the game, than disparaging the guy on the other
1: team after the game. Well, Edwards is also like implying that Cat was playing soft, and he's like, well, you know, despite him playing soft, that the guy over there is also (laughs) bad. Yeah, I don't know. The the whole thing made very little sense. That that actually is kind of a mark against the Timberwolves, I guess, for now. Uh, The wave poppy, by the way, Kelly Oubre now second in six-man odds. So something to keep an eye on there. Tyler Hero remains the the heavy, heavy favorite for that one, but I I think Oubre is up to like fourteen to one um also LeBron 60 to 1 for MVP just gonna just gonna throw that out there he's, he's put up 30 in like his last five games looking good I, I would not cross that one out yet
2: well I mean those are not bad odds at all um uh, like I like I texted you earlier today uh I guarantee there will be media members with a audience um perhaps even on espn who will be arguing for lebron to be in the mvp mix by february just because Yep. i mean i mean i don't know i feel like at some point he has to get dinged a little bit for it clearly being his idea to bring westbrook in um but also just like let's let's get real like he, he's playing better than he was at the start of the season uh, and they obviously need him to be playing as well as he possibly can for them to be an above 500 team. But we're talking about, like, three big-time MVP-level performances so far by Steph, KD, and Giannis. Like, there's just right. no way that he can possibly deserve the award at the end of the season unless all three of those guys miss time.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm half-joking about you know putting money on him at 60-1, to 1, but I, I do feel like he's still going to end up in the top five Yes. in voting. He's, I, like the, I, 100% I don't think he's going to win it, but he's going to get closer than he should.
2: He'll finish fourth or fifth uh, at yeah. minimum, unless he misses another long stretch.
1: All it's going to take is the Lakers putting together a five-game winning streak against five bad teams, and the narrative, you know, the narrative then flips from you know, LeBron's a terrible GM to for bringing in Russ to LeBron has single-handedly, like, you know, coalesced this Lakers be, team. It'll be
2: somehow he'll be getting credit because of how bad Russ is. Like it'll be like, yes. look at he's ha- he's having to pull. Like Anthony Davis and Russ have been so bad, and exactly. they're still doing okay. You
1: know?
2: Right, that's <laughs> okay, what I'm saying. Well, well, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, that I, that, that narrative has been in the hopper all year. Like they're they I mean, AD's <laughs> been hurt. Like everything is coming together. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, let's talk 2022 NBA draft real quickly, just for a few minutes here. Um, most mock drafts that you look at at this point are going to have some combination of Banchero, Holmgren, Hardy, Jamari Smith uh, at Auburn um, in the top four, I, I actually saw Hardy down at like 11 in one that I was looking at today. That's much lower than I've seen everywhere else. Um, but Banchero and, and, uh, Holmgren especially, I, I think I've kind of been that, that solid one, two in some order. And I mean, Jabari Smith, I, I, there's some mock drafts that have him at number one, but my overarching point here is this is shaping up to be a really, really fun, uh, kind of top of the lottery in this draft. And we haven't even mentioned guys like Pat Baldwin or Jaden Ivy at Purdue who are really fun college players, but, um, I, I haven't really gotten fully into the weeds on most of these guys. I, I've watched a lot of bankero, uh, a lot of Holmgren. Um, th- those teams have both been on a ton. I even went as far as to stream a UW-Milwaukee game on ESPN Plus last week to get a look at Baldwin. Um, but, but who are the guys of that group or anyone that I haven't mentioned uh, who've really captured your attention so far?
2: <clears throat> so I think uh, I think you, that whatever mock draft you saw where Hardy was down at eleven. Uh, that checks out to me. Um, I got sucked in on Hardy by just watching um some like high school highlights of his where he was, um, you know, just taking and making tons of threes from you know by the logo basically, and you know, just I I get the sense that in high school he would just shoot from pretty much anywhere and that way you'd make enough of them where you could put a mixtape together where it looked like this was something that he was really good at doing. Um, but, uh, yeah. Hey, are you to him? I've significantly cooled on Hardy. Let's just put it that way. Um, and then, okay, so the, the other three, I think, are, are where it gets really interesting. Um, I kind of think uh, Holmgren and... Bankero are a little overrated. Um like I'm not I'm not saying that they are not two of the top 3 guys in the class. I just like I don't know. I I think Bankero you know you, I get some um just kind of tweener you know Jabari Parker type of vibes a little bit from him. I'll tell um, you. I love not like I love his size and especially like if he can develop as a guy that um, can be on the ball a lot, then I think that there's, there's a lot there. Uh, But if he's more of an off ball player, um, I just, I don't know. I have concerns about him being like a franchise player. Like I think, I think any of these guys could be top three guys on, on a good team. Um, but I, I just, I'm not sold that any of them are like franchise players. Whereas like this past draft, you know, I think you could have gone at least the top three guys had that sort of superstar ceiling. And there were times in the season where you could have even talked yourself into, uh, like Kaminga or Suggs having that type of ceiling too. So, um, I'm a little lower on this class um, particularly compared to this past year's class Uh, but I do think I think it's all kind of setting up really nicely for Jabari Smith to go number one and I think uh, Evan Mobley might actually be part of that because I think teams are just um, probably rightfully just incredibly impressed with Evan Mobley and looking for the next Evan Mobley and like Jabari Smith's not as good as Evan Mobley, but he kind of looks similar to him just from a measurable mm-hmm. standpoint. And um, I mean, like Mobley, Mobley might go down as like one of the best young players of like the last ten years. Um, so I think teams are just going to be looking for the next version of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like Holmgren, I just I feel like you almost have to just kind of throw out everything he's doing in games right now unless he's playing like a real team because like Gonzaga just plays all these terrible terrible teams and I feel like we maybe should learn a little bit from Jalen Suggs last year Um, and like if if you're a 7-2 center who runs the floor like Holmgren does like you should be putting up crazy numbers and so I don't know I feel like he should be a top three pick. Ben Caro should be a top three pick, but I just I don't think they're going to be quite as good as people are inevitably going to think they are just based on the fact that they're going to go in the top three.
1: So I disagree on Ben Caro. I actually hadn't watched quite as much of him coming out of high school as, as I normally would for you know top three, top five prospects. And I, I thought he passed the eye test like much more than I expected in those first few Duke games that were on national TV. Like I, it was hard for me to come up with a one to one comparison i definitely see the jabari i mean that, that's part of it I, there's like a little mellow a, a little like current day julius Randle. like it, his handle for some reason mm-hmm. reminds me of paul george he's not nearly as smooth um and it's kind of kind of fluid as paul george is but um he's kind of a you know a, a meld of all those guys and i i don't know i've been i've been really impressed i know he had a bad shooting night in that ohio state game um that was kind of on a big stage but other than that, I, I think he's been he's been really, really good. I, I think he kind of he looks like an NBA player playing college basketball. He does. And he does. there's even there there have been a lot of like great college players who turned out to be great NBA players who didn't look that great in college. Like to me, he's like noticeably size wise, fluidity. Like he he just looks like a like second year NBA player playing for Duke.
2: Yeah. Um yeah, I mean you might be right. Like I, I like do you think he is just a Do you think he would be kind of like a Zion Randall type of power forward where he, the offense like runs through him a lot?
1: I think it's mellow. I think you ideally use him like the Knicks used mellow in 2012, which arguably, you know, maybe that's not exactly what you want from a potential number one pick, but he can handle the ball. Like he's not a guy that's going to be, you know, taking it out of bounds and bringing it up 94 feet, but it's not like you just have to feed him at the elbow. And he works from there. Like I, I think he's very capable of breaking guys down one on one. I would say Melo is like the kind of the closest one to one comparison I would make, um, just in terms of body style, ability to create his own shot. And I think he's maybe even a little more physical, uh, at least like strength wise, than Melo was at this stage.
2: Is I mean is he anywhere near that level of shooter? Um, well, that's shooting question. Thir- shooting 33% from three. Uh, he is shooting 84% from the line, 50% from the field. Um, the three, like, I just, I feel like he's got a a really, really good um, jump shot out to like 18 feet. And then once he gets deeper than that, it doesn't look that great all the time. Um, I mean, if he can, if he could be like a 35% three-point shooter, then I think he will be uh, a beast for sure. I'm just not sure where that's going to settle.
1: I think he can get there. I think the shot looks really good. And, and keep in mind, I mean, Melo, it was a different era back then, but it wasn't until Melo's fifth NBA season that he shot above 30% from three. So, I mean, it's not like Melo came in as this knockdown shooter. I, I think that was kind of the reputation, but it, it took a while for that to come. And I don't know. I, I, I trust that he'll get there. Holmgren, I, I'm inclined to kind of side with you on this one. I mean, I will say that the numbers are so overwhelming that even though it's Merrimack and Tarleton State and Alcorn State and some of these other schools that we've never even heard of, like, I don't know if you if you can rack up seven blocks in 29 minutes, like I, I know it's not the greatest competition, but it's not like he's averaging like 15 and eight with a block and a half. It's like, he's, he's legitimately getting to three or four blocks every single game, nine games in a row now with at least three blocks. Um, you know, he's shooting the three relatively well on, on fairly low volume, about three attempts per game. Um, he's just, a, he's a super unique prospect and it's, it's really, it's really hard to project him out. I, I don't know, like given the way that that team is constructed where you have, you have another like you know, legit college star next to him in, in drew Timmy, who's arguably the bigger priority. You have really good guards. You have good wings. Like I don't know that we're ever going to get the full like NBA type of exposure that we would want, like, you know, putting him in those situations this season. So I, I I could still see like fast forward to March or April where he's still kind of this mystery prospect and it's just going to depend on risk tolerance. Right? Like I, there are definitely some GMs. I think that would be more than happy to take a guy like that at number one or number two overall, and there are others that would maybe pass, and I don't know. I I really could see his career going any direction at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean he that that's what makes it so complicated. Is you're you're just you're never gonna find a like good example like of a comp for him where you can yeah. just be like, oh, he's gonna be like this, and everyone's like, oh, well, that's awesome, like because there just isn't really one. Um, I mean, it's I mean, Kevin I Durant's think-
1: body, but he doesn't have Kevin Durant's handle, and he obviously doesn't shoot like Kevin Durant.
2: Yeah. He's Kevin Durant mixed with
1: Alexa Pokoshevsky. Yeah, with Chris Kavan.
2: Do we do we agree that Scoot Henderson is would go ahead of all these guys if he were eligible?
1: Uh I yeah, probably. Probably. I mean what is his size? He's like what, six two, six three? No. Um I thought he I thought he was listed at six three. I could be wrong.
2: I mean, he looks like he's like 6'6, six, 6'4, six, uh, six, I guess is what he's looking
1: okay. Um Yeah, I think maybe, that's, yeah, that's fine, just yeah.
2: that the afro makes him look like he's 6'6. Six, six, um, <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I've, you, you put me on to his G League highlights, and I mean, he looked fantastic. He's super physical for his age. Um, and if you're not familiar, we should know. I mean, he'll be draft <laughs> eligible in, in 2023. Obviously, right now, he's the, the odds on favorite to go number one. I, I don't know that I would say I would well, lock him in. As the number one pick, like I think people are pretty high on Ben Caro, and there's certainly people that are high on Holmgren and high on Jabari Smith. So I, I, it's not a lock, but he would absolutely I, be in the mix.
2: I kind of get the sense that Scoot Henderson would go number one, and then Victor Wembanyama from France would go yes. number number two. Like I think, like not this class, but next the next class. So what would that be? The 2023 draft. Yeah. Um, like that's one where, like I think you. Uh, these teams like the Rockets, the Thunder, um, you know, the Pelicans once Zion's no longer there, like, the, there's going to be a major uh, concerted effort to get a top two pick in that draft.
1: Wemanyaba is going to be really interesting because I, I feel like he's the the first guy that's going to get, like, legit Giannis comps, and I, I think that, that could be very dangerous because Giannis is, is such a one-of-one one guy, but, I mean in terms of where he's at physically and developmentally for his age versus where Giannis is at, I think, you know, there's, there's certainly rightful reason to be excited.
2: Yeah. I mean, he, he's just so big. Um, like he's like Rudy Gobert, but he can do other things uh, with the ball. Right. Um, so I honestly like, yeah, I, I'd be uh, fascinated to see what like NBA GMs think about Henderson versus Wemba But I mean, I think those two, it's much more easy to kind of envision how they are dominant NBA players than anyone in this current class. Um, but I, I do, you know, I think Bancaro is probably like the the safest bet to be maybe an all-star, even if it's not a like a five-time all-star. And then Jabari Smith might be the guy with the highest ceiling um, from yeah. this upcoming class.
1: Yeah, I, I think Jabari Smith kind of reminds me of I almost got some of my Kawhi vibes, just the way he he moves. Like he's a he's a little bit kind of mechanical like in his jump shot. You know, he's he's not one of those guys that has like a crazy smooth handle or anything, but it's just very everything's tight, everything looks really good. You know, it's very like I you know one kind of one step ahead thinking the game. Um, and I, I honestly I did not realize he's six ten. Like I, I thought he was like watching the highlight, I would have guessed six eight. Um, so I, I see what you mean with the with Evan Mobley comps, but I think he's much more of a, like, outside-in type of guy, you know, right? I mean, he's hitting, like, three threes a game at 40%, whereas with Mobley, that's just, like, a nice bonus if he does that. Um, But on the other side, of course, Jabari Smith is not nearly the rim protector that Mobley is.
2: Yeah, I mean, no, it's starting to look like very, very few players are. Like, Evan Mobley Mobley is just, like, already one of the 10 best defenders in the league, I think. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I try not to you know, like be too revisionist with Mobley where, you know, it's like, I, he's obviously awesome. And it looks like he's going to be really, really, really good, you know, like potentially, you know, Anthony Davis level prospect going forward. But at the same time, I definitely did not think he was a home run future all-star for sure, you know, on draft. No, night. So, no. So like, you know, it's like, I, 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 th- I feel like I feel better about Bancaro Caro now than I did Mobley at this point in his college career, if that makes sense.
2: I think like, that's fair. I just, I think, like, we have to look at, and part of the Cavs' success, honestly, is just that that um, Colin Sexton hasn't been playing, like, 36 minutes a game for them, um, yeah. which has helped their defense a ton, but, uh, like, I just think you have to look at, like, not a ton has changed with this roster. In fact, they added Laurie Markkinen, who's a, who's a negative defender, and they got rid of Larry Nance, who was a plus defender. And yet Evan Mobley coming in has made them the third best defense in the league.
1: Yeah.
2: And like for him and Jared Allen to be able to play together, like it's just really like rookies just are never this impactful in terms of wins and losses. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think we have to just kind of accept the fact that we were, Anyone who didn't have him number one was just kind of wrong. I think, like, like, there's, like I've heard, I heard, like, on the Windhorse pod, him saying, like, you know, Jalen Green may still end up being better. Like, like I, no. I was higher on Jalen Green than like anyone, and I don't think you can say that he might still end up being
1: better. No. It's like best case scenario, they're comparable, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's not even a slight to Jalen Green. That's just like, how no. how could he possibly be better? Like, at the no. trajectory yeah. that Evan is on, it's like that that would be unfathomable um we are still headed towards a really good rookie of the year race by the way because Cade Cunningham very quietly these last six games 22.7 points five and a half rebounds four assists 1.8 steals 48 percent from the field 22 of his last 42 from beyond the arc so he's he's started to really heat up and play really really well um I, I still think is the guy like as long as Mobley doesn't get hurt again like his his yeah. impact on winning is so unique in this class that he should win it but Again, this is an award that is oftentimes a, you know, add up the stats type of thing. So I, I still wouldn't be surprised if Kay Cunningham sneaks his way into it. Although I, I think we're now looking at a three-man race between Mobley, Cunningham, and Barnes. I, I think Green's missed too much time. And oh, yeah. he I, I don't think he could play well enough once he's back to really claw his way back into this. I I mean, the
2: Pistons have lost 12 in a row. Um, so to me, it's basically Mobley wins it if he doesn't get hurt. Um I mean, there, if, as long as things are, like, fairly close, both from, a like, box score stats and, like, a long-term prospect trajectory, as long as things are fairly close, if one team's got 43 wins and the other team's got
1: 17 wins, like, it's going to go to the can on the 43-win team. 17 might be generous. But, no, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I just think, by the, I mean, by the end of the year, Cunningham could legitimately be at, like, 21 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. Steal and a half, you know, 42% from the field. Like those, those are going to be really good numbers. But yeah, I mean, if we're talking a 30-game difference in terms of wins, um, I, I think it'd be pretty hard to ignore that. But all right, man, we got things to take care of uh, before tonight's slate tips off. Um, appreciate you taking the time to prep and everything, as always, dude. Yep, thanks for having me.